Hi, I'm Sheldon Kennedy, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast, The Sheldon Kennedy Show. These episodes will feature honest and open conversations with notable guests who will share their stories, subject matter expertise, and insights on the many social issues we face today. This podcast is presented by Respect Group. Founded in 2004, Respect Group empowers people to recognize and prevent bullying, abuse, harassment, and discrimination through interactive online education. To date, over 1.8 million Canadians have been Respect certified in sport, schools, and the workplace. Now, I'm delighted to introduce our next guest, Dina Belaroche, my friend. Dina joined Sport Law in 2009 merging her communications consulting firm with the organization to better support sport leaders. Dina has worked for a number of sport organizations since 1991, including the Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sport, the Canadian Olympic Committee, the True Sport Foundation, and Equestrian Canada. Dina specializes in integral coaching, strategic planning, communications, risk management, change management, loss and grief, and leadership development. As a certified professional coach with the International Coach Federation, Dina's passion is in supporting sport leaders looking to explore various ways to develop, learn, grow, and thrive. As an expert in facilitation and strategic communications, Dina has worked in a variety of leadership roles at over a dozen major games over the past two decades. She considers working as the Canadian Press Chief at the 2000 Olympic Games in Sydney and being one of the early founders of the True Sport Movement as her career highlights. Dina graduated from the Carleton School of Journalism and completed a master's degree in Applied Health Sciences sports management at Brock University. Her research investigated how national sport organizations' values can be leveraged more intentionally to optimize effectiveness and increase performance. Her research was published in two sport management journals, and she has written a handbook on the topic. Dina is currently enrolled in a thanatology certificate program at the University of Western Ontario's King's College, I hope I said that right, Dina, you can correct me when I'm done. When she is not working to contribute to the betterment of sport, Dina volunteers with Schoolbox, her local community centre, and the bereaved families of Ontario. Dina's favourite quote, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. I will not refuse to do something I can do. Helen Keller. Well, there you go. You've you've done a lot, Dina, and welcome. Hey, You've done a lot. There was a couple big words for a hockey player in there that I, <laughs> I, 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 I stumbled on. I read them. I read that over twice, trying to get my, uh, trying to understand those words. So I hope I pronounced it right. But if I that's did, hilarious. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send you an abbreviated version because that's way too long of a focus on me. <laughs> no, it was good. You've done a lot, Dina. I want people to know, like, if I can read that early, like this. It gives, it gets, lets us get into the conversation where we need to go. Okay, and that's what it's beautiful. basically about. Because I think, you know, our goal in the podcast is to, uh, um, is to show people how to have a conversation about these issues. So, and we're recording, by the way. So here we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> how are you today? I'm just wonderful. I'm on vacation and oh. uh, I'm taking this time to reflect to kind of take a step back, 
to uh, to enjoy a new little cottage that uh, my husband and I just purchased last week. So I'm I'm really oh. feeling like I'm living the dream, Sheldon. Nice, <laughs> nice cottage, and it's it's uh, rejigging your energy. Hey, wow. yeah, as, exactly. As, as we do this work, we need to we need to re-energize, don't we? Yeah, I love that you're saying that. So for me, just even noticing that where's my healing place and the woods, when I go for runs in the woods is where I get recharged and the water. And yeah. so we have a sailboat and now we've got this little place of we're calling it La Roche Haven. <laughs> and it's it is just when you step on the land and you can smell the water and, and feel the energy, you know, it just, everything shifts. And to your point, sport and the entire world is so depleted. We have to find restorative practices to ground ourselves so we can continue to do the important work that we've been doing, Sheldon. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's one thing I've learned over over my time, uh, you know, um, walking down this path is that we need to, and I didn't do it in my early years, but uh, I've learned, Dina, that uh, we definitely need to uh, take care of take care of ourselves when we when we do when you do heavy work like this with with topics that that you know that that carry carry a load. I mean, if they're a load, right? They they bring their own baggage with them, and and when you do this work, you you open up you know, conversations and lots of times we receive disclosures and, you know, people don't want to do anything with them. They just want to tell, tell us, but, you know, being, learning to let that go, I think is critical. And, you know, Dean, I love to be able to get into, uh, you know, we, we've known each other for a long time. We've done a lot of work together and I'd like to just give you a, you know, give you some time to kind of, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, where do you think the state of sport is at uh, in our country today? Um, and let's, you know, we could stick to to Canada, but, uh, um, you know, give us kind of your thoughts on, on, on where do you feel, you know, the state of sport is, you know, maybe where we need to go. And, uh, and then we can get into kind of maybe how, how, how we got to the state of sport or how it got here and, and what we need to do to maybe try to start chipping away at creating it, you know, making it even better. Mm, okay, that's such a beautiful question. I think what I'm inspired to share as someone who's been in the sector since 1991, we're exactly where we need to be. Mm-hmm. We're in transition is how I would, uh, you know, read the tea leaves. And I'm reminded by, uh, so I'm a student, I'm a kind of a life student. And in, in 1990, I was completing my journalism degree. And my whole thesis, Sheldon, was on the Dublin Inquiry. Yeah. So I interviewed Ben Johnson and Lauren Seagrave and poured over, you know, copies of the Dubbin Inquiry. And you know what Charles Dubbin, he was the, the head of the inquiry. You know what he yep. said? We don't have a doping issue. We have a moral crisis. And so if we flash forward 30 years later, Sheldon, yeah. I would offer it's less about being in a safe sport issue. We are still grappling with the moral crisis. And yeah. so what I would offer as a commentary is... Sport is in transition. The systems and structures that were designed in the 70s to create and reimagine a way for Canada to have a system of connected organizations that would deliver and design sport from national to playground, it's outdated now. Just like other systems and structures are outdated. The challenge in sport is that 80% of our capacity comes from volunteers. Yeah, And so we have a revolving door relationship with the capacity, right, with the volunteers. And we are expecting that these volunteers 
who have been lifers are going to carry the torch. Well, many of those volunteers are now aging out. And the next generation, importantly, doesn't want to volunteer the way our current generation does. So the systems and structures that were designed in the 70s are no longer meeting the needs and requirements of a 21st century organization. And I don't care if you're a local hockey organization or the National Association, you have a fiduciary responsibility to run your business as a corporation. And we are failing on so many different levels because the systems and the structures that are invisible aren't able to carry the load of increased expectations to run an organization. So we have a lot of work to do to be able to catch up. And I'm hopeful because at least now we're in a conversation where people are saying the sky is falling. And you and I were saying that 20 years ago, Sheldon, the sky is falling and people weren't listening. Now they're listening. So I want to be part of the the group like you that's talking about hope-filled solutions, giving people an opportunity to have real conversations, to create an ethic of leadership that is focused and driven and rewarded for being values-based, and so that we measure culture in a different way. Because right now, sport is measuring money and medals. Those are the two driving forces. I want to suggest that for us to get through this transition and to move into maybe it's a version of Sportopia, we start to reward culture. And I'm happy to talk to you a little bit more about the work we're doing there. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you brought up something that I think needs needs a little bit of, I'd love your insight on is, you know, volunteers. Why do you think we aren't attracting, sports not attracting volunteers in today's world in the 21st century? You know, what, what do you think? Is there a can you put your finger on that or? Yeah, well, so what I what I would offer, and I've done a little bit of research there, mm-hmm. is this next generation has been rewarded to have a more transactional relationship with volunteering, mm-hmm. right? In order to graduate from high school, they need to actually complete 40 hours of, of volu- you know, volunteering. Yeah. And so their relationship with volunteering is different. So that's one reason. The second reason in, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, less so in the early parts of 2000, you know, we had we had a, a slower pace, right? We yeah. had more traditional family systems where maybe one partner was working outside the home. And so people's relationship with time was different than what it is now. Now, you know, I'm a parent of three children, right? They're all, you know, almost adults. So it, it's different. My, my time, I was spending, you know, 16 hours on the pitch across three children, driving and going and playing and, and coaching. And, and that was my focus. But I was privileged to be able to do that. If you're a single mom or a single dad, you don't have the luxury of volunteering. So that's that generation. The next generation is saying, I'm not going to carry that load. You talked about carrying the load. They're looking at us and saying, why would I sign up and be a board of director or a coach or an official, (laughs) right? Look Look at the experience that you are taxiing me. Sport is not a welcoming place right now for people to come in and donate their time. Most of the young people that I center and mentor, they are looking for experiences I'll sign up for an event, Dina. I'll lend my support, my expertise for nine months. Then I want to move on to a different organization or a different volunteer role. So sport has to catch up and be able to recognize that the system and structures that so relied on volunteers 
it's no longer going to be, I called it our fossil fuel. We are overly reliant on volunteers and we have to shift. We're still going to need volunteers, but it's not going to be at the same ratio that has created sports uh, today and has contributed to a lot of the issues that we're, we're working through. Do you, and I hear this word get thrown around a lot and I've tried to really understand it myself, but I'd love to hear your, your perspective on systemic. What does systemic mean to you? Like to me, I mean, I, I know, you know, I mean, it's, I feel that we've got a lot of systemic issues in sport and what I know about systemic is that it's a system. Systemic systems build people and they build people to be a certain way. It's not really on an individual as much as it is, a you know, and, you know, I'd love to hear your perspective on, you know, when we talk about systemic and look at a, you know, system, you know, in general, whether it's in sport or not, I'd love to hear your, your perspective on that. Like, is that what we're dealing with? So the way that I'm, you know, inspired to maybe take that thread is, you know, sport, think of it as an ecosystem. That's mm-hmm. how I like to imagine sport, an ecosystem. And in the ecosystem, there are a lot of interconnected, you know, lily pads. Maybe maybe that's a way of, of envisioning it. And those lily pads, right, those giant lily pads are connected to each other, which is why when we see an issue occur in one sport organization, right, and that culture, all of a sudden now there's been like a domino rippling out effect. So when we see one group of athletes rise up, right, and challenge the system, challenge the ecosystem, we're now seeing athletes rise up in other ecosystems and saying, hey, we're experiencing what they're experiencing. And if it's toxic for them or unsafe for them, maybe it's unsafe for us too. So I do think that sport, like other ecosystems, right, and because of the reliance on volunteers, the ecosystem now is crumbling. And we, the the we, the collective we, need to ask ourselves, are we going to lay, overlay additional burdens on a on a dying, you know, ecosystem, or are we going to press pause and ask ourselves, what does the ecosystem need? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I would offer right now, our response to the safe sport issue, right. Is a more, it's a moral crisis. So unless we get underneath the root causes, the systems that we're creating are more of a tax now is what I'm observing, right. With our clients, they're not receiving a lot of the interventions with gratitude. It's like, wait, what? It's a, it's a burden that I don't think that the crumbling ecosystem is going to be able to support. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and, you know, maybe I feel that way a lot, Dina. And I think, um, can you expand on that a little bit? Like, you know, how, you know, I mean, you know, for real change to happen, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it can't be just add on and add on and add on and add on. I mean, I think it's got to be, you know, like culture, talk a little bit about culture, like, you know, you know, and I want, and I want our listeners to know that, you know, where I come from, where I'm coming from is, you know, I, I think sport is critical to the health of our, you know, participants, families, communities, you know, I think it's critical, especially given what we know, uh, coming out of the pandemic, how important sport is and, and uh, activities. Um, but you know, we are in a crisis there. We are in a crisis, I think. And, and, and I, 
you know, and I feel that, you know, um, there's a culture in sport that's, you know, it's almost unwilling to change. And I don't know if it's because they don't want to, or they don't know how to. And I think that that is a barrier to real change. And, you know, so just chat with me a little bit about, you know, some of the work that you're doing with organizations to help them the, you know, maybe the forward thinking organizations, or maybe that's not the right word, I don't know. But, you know, how do you work it with an organization to help them grow their culture, make the shift through the transition that you talked about? Yeah, what a great question and an observation, Sheldon. So I would actually, you know, what I would say is, I'm not so sure that we're in a crisis. I think we're in a natural evolution. And something Mm -hmm. for me feels liberated when we just recognize that the systems and structures that were designed in the 70s are no longer the ones we need to get us to where we want to go. It's like a little bit like, oh, okay, less punitive, more hope-filled. So I just want to recognize that. So I feel like we're in this, I talk about liminal space. And liminal means we're in between. We're not there and we're not here. And or we talk about brackish waters, right? You know, when in the estuaries, when the seawater comes in and it mixes with fresh water, it's all murky. So I talk about we're in brackish waters right now. When we're in brackish waters, right, it is incredibly uncomfortable. So I think we need to get more comfortable with being in the uncomfortable. And when we do that, we can have really thoughtful conversations about culture. Now, my way of defining culture, and I wrote a book about this 12 years ago called Values in Action, Igniting Passion and Purpose in Sport Organizations. And I studied 10 national sport organizations, and I looked at whether they were deploying this incredible asset, right, called values. And so for me, culture is the relationships, the artifacts, the systems and structures, the invisible ways that we are together over time. And those ways of being get passed along from generation to generation, right? And some of those patterns are healthy, some are less healthy. And we see that in rituals, right? Uh, in sport groups who pass along these rituals that we now know are maltreatment-based rituals, for instance. So for me, culture, and Peter Drucker, who's a, a famous management scientist, would say this about culture. Culture will eat strategy for breakfast. Yeah, love that. In a recent keynote, I actually changed Peter's work <laughs> or inspired by it and said this, a culture is eating sport for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and the occasional snack. <laughs> right? True. Yeah. That's so good. culture, culture is like the way we are. If I really simplify and the work that I'm doing, that sport law is doing, and we now have culture coaches, right? We've had culture coaches since 2014 and the culture coaches work with the individual. So we work with leaders at all levels to help them become more self-aware. And we use an incredible tool called the Nova Profile to help leaders become more self-aware because I don't care if you keep educating people, but their level of self-awareness is really low. You're not going to get the traction you need. So we work at the individual level. Then we work at the team level. So we work with teams, sport teams and coaches to create common language, Sheldon. So imagine you've got a sport coach who has self-awareness and then you have the athletes who also have self-awareness. Now we have common language to be able to say, Hey coach, When you talk to me this way, it makes me feel small. I don't like when you yell at me because I am not able to understand what you're saying. Can you please change your communication style? And the coach who's self-aware says, thank you, athlete, 
for communicating what you need, right? So we're working at the community at the at the team level. Then we work at the organizational level. So all the staff and the board are working together through the NOVA to be able to understand each other more effectively, to be able to take responsibility for their poor behavior, to be able to adjust and calibrate their communication, right? So we reduce the likelihood that we're not going to be working better together. Then at a systems level, so that's what I want to shout with you about. So recently we linked arms, like we've linked arms with Respect Group, Sport Law linked arms with a, a really uh, innovative platform called Interlogic. And Interlogic has helped us create the Sport Culture Index. Now, the Sport Culture Index is a measurement tool. It's an assessment tool. So imagine, it, let's take Respect Group, right? Because you have a thriving mm-hmm. business. How many people do you have working with you, Sheldon? Uh, 35. Okay. So you're a culture, right? Yeah. So, oh, so yeah. We're a culture, all right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I love that you're like, oh, yeah, we're a cultural. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more, Sheldon, if you have a couple of words to describe your your culture, the culture that you and Wayne, your dear friend and mentor and, and, and partner, what is the culture? A couple of words to describe the culture at Respect Group. I think very uh, inclusive and strong. Yeah. Okay. Like we, we just celebrated like we just had... Uh, uh, we get together once a year with our whole team gets together and we just we just uh, gave out 15 10 year certificates oh, wow. and I mean they're all you know a lot we're very proud of our team and but we put a lot of effort into it I mean I think what you're talking about culture I mean there is a lot of effort that goes into maintaining growing and building a culture it's not it is it's got to be a priority within an organization. And it's got to be practiced, you know, all the time. And it's got to, you know, to get to where we want to get to. And I think, you know, that's, we got to get to a point, Dean, I think where, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, you know, we're, where culture has as big of an importance as winning and losing. Yeah. You know, and so, but anyway, respect group, sorry, back to your question. Um, Yeah, I, I would say we're, we're, we're inclusive and we're strong. Okay. So how do you know? Well, we we know that because we ask our people. Okay, you ask them. So do yeah, they do we do surveys with all our people. We ask them. We talk to them. We we give them a chance to, you know, ask how we can improve. What do we need to do? How are you feeling? Is there anything we need to, you know, need to do? We, you know, we we make sure we listen to what they're saying. We we give, you know, health credits. Uh, we give, you know, we listen. You know, if you look at one of the biggest things was on our uh, employee benefits plan. I mean, one of the, you know, a lot of young families, a lot of young parents. And one of their ones is, you know, we'd really like to have a better dental plan if anything, right? Because that's the one with our kids and everything that, so we changed our, we changed our whole, you know, medical plan to benefit what they're telling us. But I think it's about being able to reach out, give a platform, create a platform for conversation to be able to listen to individuals. And I think, you know, it's not like we don't have problems, but we address the problems and we can communicate those problems you know, and listen and uh, address it and resolve them. And I think that that's important too. But yeah, I mean, Wayne, you know, I give a lot of credit to Wayne. I mean, Wayne's the, you know, kind of runs the day-to-day within Respect Group. Uh, I'm there, obviously, you know, but I we can't have two chiefs in the same tent. And, uh, you know, so Wayne runs out and he does a very good job of it. 
I love that. Well, it's like you and Wayne are to each other what Steve, my business partner, are to each each other, right? We are the yin to each other's yang. You can't have, you know, all the chiefs. So what I love about what you just shared is what the Sport Culture Index, the, the ethos, the invitation for the Sport Culture Index is to do what you just described. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a measurement tool, 60 questions, and we measure two factors, right? We measure human factors and we have six domains. Yeah. So things like personalization, we measure things like belonging, we measure things like safety, right? Psychological safety. So we have six domains in human factors, and then we have six domains in system factors like vision and mission and values and communication. So when you combine all of those into 60 questions. And you invite your people to answer questions related to those 60 questions. You get a snapshot of the culture. But here's what's amazing. It's not just an Excel document, right? It's an interactive platform. And you ask the board, right? Because boards are keeper of the culture. You ask staff. You ask national team athletes. You ask coaches, right? And your key volunteers. So now you've got an imprint on that ecosystem that is your culture. And you can benchmark with other like organizations. How are we doing on a scale of one to 10 across these 12 domains? So I've been working with, as we know, Sport Manitoba, who's adopted the Sport Culture Index, and another leading national sport organization who came to me a year ago and said, Dina, I won't name them because they haven't given me, well, they've given me permission, but I just want to double check, right? So So this amazing leader came to me uh, 18 months ago and said, Dina, we want to be the leading blank organization in the world. And one of the ways we want to do that is beyond our fiscal responsibility and the number of medals we're winning. We want to manage by values and we want to work with you to help us figure out how we're going to do that. So he took my book and he said, we want to measure more than money and medals. We want to measure morals. That's our triple bottom line, Sheldon. Money, medal, morals. And the way we do that is through the Sport Culture Index, right? So the Sport Culture Index, 60 questions, it's anonymous assessment that we review, that we work with the leaders. And we have one rule. We have one rule with the NSOs and the PSOs and the clubs who are using the index. You have to share the findings, just like you share your audited financial statements and you account for your metal performance. We have to share the findings of culture. So gone are the days of secrecy. So organizations are stepping up. They're using the assessment. They're getting a sense of where are we on this culture journey? And then they work to address any of the shortcomings as a gift because now they know what they felt maybe before if they were in tune with their ecosystem, right? Or they didn't know, but now they know. And great leaders are not going to avert their gaze. They're actually going to stay in the conversation, as you said, say thank you to your people for helping them address the issue and then work to make it better. That is true leadership, at least in my book. Well, and I agree. And, and, you know, and I think, you know, one of the challenges, and I'm sure you guys have uh, figured it out, but I mean, you know, there's, you know, we we make those changes, say, at the NSO, at the leadership at the you know level how do we get how do we get that type of work down to the little town in northern or you know the little towns throughout our country like how do we get those down into those towns where we have yeah. the, still those volunteers and and you know how does that work yeah. like, 
because to me, I think, you know, we need to reach those places and, and I, I, you know, you know, and I'm, I'm sure, I don't know if you, you have a plan for that. I'm sure you do, but to me, we've got to get there. I'm sure you do. <laughs> I love it. Well, Come on, and if I, you don't just, make it up. <laughs> I just, yeah, let's make it up right now. Well, I, I would say that, you know, we're, we're figuring it out. And what I love about this yeah. conversation, of course, it's, it's feeding my hope filled nature. Right. Yeah. So I wrote a blog recently called, you know, inspired action. And this is what I, I want to be able to help facilitate. I think the first thing we need to do is acknowledge the limitations of our current systemic issues, yeah. which we're doing partially right now. Uh, we need to reward more than money and medals. We need to reward, you know, really great thriving culture. And we have a tool at Sport Law to do that. Yeah. We need to educate people, right? And mm-hmm. you're doing a stellar job of doing that. And you have been for over 20 years. And I would say we need to give them, even before we educate them, we have to give them the gift of self-awareness. So my vision is as soon as you become a national team athlete, right, you get a Nova profile, right? Why? Because the coach is being Novified and the leaders are being Novified. Now you're you're talking the same language. So those are some of the ways in which I'm envisioning on a, on a, on a more practical level with the sport culture index, right? As we modernize the system, I think we're going to see a shift between these separate organizations. Sheldon, we have 34,000 plus sport organizations in the country and they're all run. They're interconnected, but the national sport organization does not control the experience at the storefront. So I'm going to give you an analogy, which I know you and I've talked about before, right? Imagine your, your Starbucks HQ, right? So you run a franchise called Starbucks in Canada, but you cannot do anything. If somebody's pouring people a poison cup of coffee, imagine if they couldn't do anything, if they couldn't shut down that storefront, like how, how would that be possible? That is what's happening in sport right now. The mm-hmm. national sport organization cannot control the experience. They can influence in a very distant way what happens at the storefront. So in my reimagined future, all of that is done. We have a, an HQ, the national sport organization, that has franchise holders, right? The ones who are chapters who are connected. So you don't have any more board of directors at the PSO level and TSO level. You have... Mm-hmm chapters that are connected into nestled under the NSO. And I've written about this because we have an N of one, we have our first prototype, right? We just have to be brave enough to actually enact this. And then what about the chapters in the communities? They are all connected. They are our storefront. Mm-hmm. And you have franchise holders that are directly responsible to the national sport organization. So what does that require? Professionals. We are professionalizing an industry. What needs to happen to make that possible? We move sport from a privilege to a right, just like education and healthcare. In my humble opinion, when we get sport right at the community level, people come together as neighbors and they leave as friends. But right now it's accidental. We're leaving this up to chance. We're leaving it up to well-intentioned volunteers who are in over their heads who don't have the knowledge, the time, the credibility, the training required to nurture the vast majority of athletes who are young, developing minds and bodies. And what do we do? We superimpose an adult version of what the game ought to be like. And we expect that we're going to pump out these great, you know, human beings when in fact the data is telling us the opposite. You know that to be true. Over 70% of girls leave the sport at 14. 
How is that a good return on investment, Sheldon? In my humble opinion, as someone who's been positively impacted by sports since I was eight, I was looking up at Nadia Comaneci performing miracles, right, in 1976. And I turned to my mom and said, Mom, I want to go to the Olympics. And she didn't have the heart to tell me that I was didn't have the body of a gymnast, right, at eight years old. But instead, she threw me in swimming and equestrian and, and track. And I learned to self-actualize and become the best version of me through my leadership skills that were honed in sport. And look at me now right? 45 years later, I'm 54 now. And I'm still so in love with the power of sport, but we are doing it in an accidental, unintentional way. We want to design a system. And the only way I know how to do that is to elevate sport to a right. Mm -hmm. What do you think? That was a good rant, Dina. And I think you were hitting (laughs) lots of good. No, it was perfect. And you were hitting lots of great points and I it made makes a lot of sense and I think you know going back to what you were talking about about I mean the system has to change and I think it's you know it's it's nothing changes if nothing changes and and right now um, what you talked about earlier on in our conversation about you know a 1970s built system isn't sufficient and isn't working in a 2021 system so to be able to change that system and I think if we have you know, or, you know, evolve that system, advance that system, you know, um, not change, people are scared of change, but we need to, we need to take a 70s model car, you know, that worked at the time, and it worked great, and it run well, but we need to get, we need to create a 2022 version. And, uh, you know, and, and it doesn't mean that that whole 1970s vehicle gets thrown out the window, there's some great teachings in there, but there's also some updates that we need to do. And, and I think if, you know, if we can create that system, I think that it helps build, it'll help reach those rural communities, right? Those, those, those communities that, you know, where sport is so critical, but, you know, if you look at, you know, they're so connected with school sport, um, you know, volunteerism. I mean, the same people are, you know, given in that community, you know, whether it's through the school or whether it's through sport, but, you know, talk to me a little bit about Dina, like, you know, what do you think about the value of sport? Like what's, what do you think the value is um, that sport brings to a person's, a young person's life? And why is it important? Like, you know, I mean, I know I have my knowledge of why sports important on the mental health side and you know beyond beyond the winning and losing why is it critical that we get this right yeah well i can speak from my my lived experience as a coach and a parent and mm-hmm. also as someone who's privileged to have been you know participating in in a, over a dozen major games and what i think it comes down to is human potential right having a dream, working really hard to achieve it, being supported by caring adults who are emotionally intelligent and who have your best interest at heart, and then actualizing that, you know, and and the rippling out effect from both the playgrounds that I, I spend my time on, right, to international stage, we are, it touches our heart to see people thrive. And I know it feels feels almost sportopic, you know, sportopia, but it, it's actually happening. So in communities across this country, I see, and I'm, I bear witness to, you know, our greatest humanity when 
when people are, are kind of coming together and, and the athletes are on the pitch and, and the coaches are, are working to support them. And we see children learning about camaraderie and collaboration and we see adults supporting that. And we see, you know, at the highest expression, a country feeling deeply proud of the way in which our athletes are ambassadors for positive interactions, right? And it, it forges, I think, a level of intimacy into me, you see, that the world globally needs. We need more hope in the world, Sheldon. Yeah. And, and so for me, the power of sport, I mean, when I go back to my early roots of the Canadian Centre for Ethics in Sport and championing true sport, True sport, I mean, I love that you said it's a conversation, right? We need more conversations. And true sport, when we asked Canadians back in the mid-90s, so what kind of sport do you want to see? What's important to you as Canadians, right? We repeated that evaluation over and over again. They came down to four core values, fairness, fun, excellence, and inclusion, right? And those four values were translated into seven principles of true sport. Things like going for it and playing fair and having fun and respecting others and including everyone and giving back, right? So those seven principles need to be baked in to the sport experience and beyond technical and tactical and physical, we need greater emotional and social literacy so that there's a holistic experience for all participants, athletes, coaches, parents and administrators, the diamond, right? Working in alignment so that athletes, these young minds and bodies are nurtured through sport, but we've been doing it by accident in a way, right? Because of that transient nature of the volunteers upon which, you know, in community, most of the people that we rely on to deliver sport is is volunteers, right? Yeah. So when we reimagine sport, I think sport can live up to its full human potential and just alongside universal healthcare and universal, you know, education, we need universal sport. Why? Because as a physical human being, uh, you know, I'm a grief coach, right? So I've, I spent, I've gone back to university. I'm spending a lot of time in understanding a development, right? Because how do human beings become human beings that are that are self-actualized and integrated and healthy and whole and understanding how over time we carry grief. And in sports, we learned we've baked into the system, I would say uh, an unhealthy, you know, worldview as it relates to loss because kids are ashamed when they lose, they look up to the adults and go, Ooh, that was bad. We need to reimagine a healthier relationship with things like outcomes, winning and losing. And to your earlier point, if we are measuring more than money and medals, and we're also measuring morals, culture, we're going to give these children an opportunity to experience something that is so much healthier for them than the current experience. Right now, I don't know about you, Sheldon, but I, I became a coach for my three children because I wanted it to be intentional. And I use those seven principles of true sport to ensure a healthy, integrated experience. And I still get emails and notes from my athletes a decade later saying, thanks, Coach Dina. Can you be a reference, Coach Dina? Hey, Coach Dina, I'm getting married. Hey, Coach Dina, you know, I just graduated from university. 
So this is not, it's possible, Sheldon, for us well, to do this. It, it is possible and, 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 it's, and, and it's critical because, you know, this is, you know, the building brains of our young people. These are the memories that this is when they're building, this is how they're building their future, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we need to make sure. And I mean, I mean, and I think of it like, you know, there's lots of studies out there. We're specializing these kids at eight, nine, 10 years old. They're yeah. being taken out of, you know, taken out of the whole social you know, circles, I mean, and they've been put in this real tiny sport bubble. Exactly. Right? To specialize in one thing. And then you start moving through your sport life. And then poof, you're out of the bubble. Well, there's, you know, I can't remember the the gentleman's name that did that study out of the U of T, but I saw him present around, you know, the the number of uh, deaths by suicide of young athletes and a belonging and not knowing where they fit. Right. And so, you know, to me, I mean, we've got into this such a competitive, competitive mode. And so anyway, I I just love what you had to say, Dina. And, you know, and I think that this change is possible. We're, we're running out of time. Um, I could talk to you for another hour. Uh, I know you want to enjoy your LaRoche cabin, (laughs) LaRoche acres. And, um, you know, I guess at the end of it, I just, you know, I really want to, you know, talk about, I want you to talk a little bit about the charity that's, uh, you know, so important to you, School Box, and and anything else that you maybe want to finish with. I know you're writing a book and, you know, I'll let you wrap it up. Oh, thank you. Well, first of all, we we can have a part two and a part three, because here's what I'd like to say, you know, you know, Sheldon, it's going to take a village. Yeah. And and I, I offer anything that I've shared with you with a humble heart. Like I'm just one person, right? But like Helen Keller said, I am only one, but still I am one. And I'm not going to refuse to do the one or two or three things that I can do. So here's what I've simplified. I And I'll talk about Schoolbox in a moment. I believe that sport needs to step into its full leadership capacity, right? And to me, that's management by values. Mm-hmm. So if we start to promote a philosophy and ethic of leadership that's centered in values, we're going to be better. And then if we layer on plus a commitment to a holistic environment on the field of play, that's true sport, right? And then all of your educational experiences then can overlay on that and our commitment to a more inclusive sport system, right? Interfaces in there. And then we layer on a thriving culture, right? And the sport culture index can give us a a sense of whether we're achieving that. I think then we've got a chance, a reasonable chance of getting to that holistic sport environment. Um, so I just wanted to, to end with a hope-filled kind of uh, experience on, on sport. So for, for me, on, on a more personal level, so I, I'm writing, I've written a book, it's going to be published this fall, if all goes well, it's called Grief Unleashed. And I, I have a couple of stories in there in sport, because of course, I, I support athletes and a few of them now who've, who've been retired have come to me through the grapevine. And I had the privilege of doing a, a podcast with Anastasia Kusik from CBC. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who, who talked to me about grief and loss and the way in which I'm, I'm bringing in loss literacy, right, is very, it's unique, right? In the world right now, there's not a lot of people who are talking about grief and loss in sport quite the way that I am. And what I'm trying to do is advocate for a more, holistic expression of how we integrate 
you know, some of the experiences that are heavier for us. And just because we carry it so well doesn't mean it's not heavy. So related to my grief and loss work is uh, a charity that, of course, when we've collaborated and I've donated my time, you and and uh, and Wayne have donated to Schoolbox. And Schoolbox is a beautiful charity that, that uh, builds schools because education, you know, makes everything possible. And through education... We can, we can bring hope to communities. And this, of course, is in honor of my sister, Tracy, who passed away uh, 21 years ago now. So I've been able to integrate and, and, you know, this deep loss that I carried, and I've been able to find meaning and joy and a renewed sense of purpose by working through all the dark stuff that was keeping me heavier, right, in the early stages of grief. And Schoolbox, um, you know, first in Nicaragua, we built two schools in honor of Tracy. And now, because of the political situation in Nicaragua, we've turned our attention back home. We brought Schoolbox back home. So there's an Indigenous community in Wabasgang, and I was just there, just north of, uh, of Winnipeg. Yeah. I drove there uh, in April, and there's going to be an outdoor Indigenous learning centre that's in honour of Tracy. And kids can go there and they can they can learn more about land-based uh, education. And there's like a little rock garden where they can write down their the stuff that's heavier for them. Um, and that stuff, you know, Sheldon, I'm an advocate at heart. That stuff makes my heart sing. Yeah. Being able to just be be real with each other and and get get more intimate with what it means to be human, that is the that's where I'm taking most that, of my that fills the tank. That fills the tank. Well, and and uh, in appreciation, Dina, of you joining us today, we will Respect Group will be making a donation to Schoolbox. So thank you, and and just I want to thank you for joining us, and be sure to subscribe to our show in your podcast app so we can stay connected. This show was made possible by Respect Group, and to learn more about their work and vision, visit respectgroupinc.com. Dina, I just want to say thank you. You're a leader. You're a visionary. I believe that what you talked about today is doable. It must be doable. We are aligned in our thinking. And uh, and I think more and more and more people are becoming believers in just an updated version of sport. <laughs> and, uh, and that includes culture and morals and, you know, back to the basics. Why did we get involved to begin with? Why was sport created to begin with? And uh, on that, I just want to say thank you. And... Uh, let you go and, and enjoy your cabin and your family and and uh, get re-energized. Thank Have you. Have a Sean. great day. Bye. Bye.